Welcome to the Terawatt Space Podcast. This is Aravind. In this podcast, I speak to entrepreneurs, innovators, and thought leaders in an attempt to demystify Earth observation, satellite data, and all its applications. Today, I'm sharing an insightful discussion I had with Eli Peretz, CEO of Astera. Astera is a startup headquartered in Israel that offers a platform for monitoring all kinds of infrastructure, whether it's for monitoring roads, rails, dams, water utilities, or even for mining, based on synthetic aperture radar or SAR data. SAR, as some of you know, is pretty hard to process, but Astera has managed to not only develop a scalable product that derives insights from SAR data, but also managed to transform them into performance metrics that can be easily understood by the asset operators. I wanted to learn more about how they managed to do that. In this episode, Ellie and I discuss the interesting origin story of Astera, their product portfolio, the challenges of using SAR, how they managed to transform complex SAR data into actionable information, why the adoption of Earth observation in the infrastructure sectors is inevitable, and more. And now I bring you Ellie Peretz. Hi, Ellie. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for, for having me. So the first question that I usually start with is to ask guests to describe their story. So I'm going to ask the same to you. What's your story and how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Uh, since from, from the very beginning, I was fascinated by the question of uh, how customers accept uh, technology and what does it take to trans, translate technology into uh, value. Uh, and it always go back to sales and marketing. Uh, the technology itself is, is with, with all the respect, uh, uh, just a result of thinking, but uh, translating it, in, it into value is, is, is the main challenge in the commercialization market. Um, I held different positions in sales and marketing over the years, uh, running all kinds of uh, uh, sales and marketing uh, operation worldwide uh, for American and Israeli technologies. And about... Uh, Seven years ago, I met a friend that told me about uh, Astera. At that time, the name of the company was Utilis. And he said that uh, they have the ability to detect leaks from space. Uh, at that time, the focus was the water sector. Uh, knowing all the, with my background in science, technology, computer, uh, programming, and so on, uh, I had this look, which is like, really? Why are you telling me that uh, magics uh, exist? Uh, he gave me a few words uh, of explanation. I met the founder, Loren Guy. Uh, and since then, uh, my understanding was that it, it, once I realized that it is possible scientifically, I couldn't resist getting involved. I got involved uh, in raising money for the venture. And since then, uh, I'm the CEO. All right, sounds good. Uh, very interesting. So why don't you give a quick elevator pitch of what Astera is for those who don't know? Yes, so I would uh, actually start with the technology uh, because it goes into human uh, human perception. So those of you that don't know, uh, visual, visual wavelength, which is what we human take as reality is only 0.03% of reality. Uh, when we are looking on the overall uh, spectrum, uh, visual is only 0.03% of the spectrum. Synthetic aperture radar is 15% or more. It depends how exactly you limit the wavelength. 
So imagine that we can use 15% of the spectrum to understand reality. Now, obviously, it's not easy. Obviously, we don't have the uh, human sensors to do that. And for that, we need to use artificial sensors. And the data that those sensors are take, getting is chaotic. So we need to translate it through, in different ways into something that makes sense. Uh, and... and, and and in essence, what, what Astera is looking to do is to become humanity eyes in the SAR spectrum for infrastructure needs worldwide. We are taking SAR data from existing uh, providers, specifically Elbend, uh, right now focusing on the Elbend spectrum. Uh, Elbend is unique in uh, two parameters uh, or two dimensions. The first dimension, Elbend penetrates. It's a, it's a long wavelength, it penetrates, it penetrates the ground, up to a certain extent, of course, but it penetrates. And the second thing, uh, electromagnetic materials kind of screaming from the ground through L-band more than any other band. And by taking those two uh, dimensions, putting them together, we could provide an interesting insight for our customers. Uh, I would even say that uh, our call to fame is that we are not staying at the insights, we are, we are moving into action. So our, our, we are talking about actionable data. Uh, so everybody is talking about the gap between what is the value of data and what is the, what do you do with it or what are the insights. Uh, at the end, when it comes to infrastructure, the question is, uh, what is the action, ground action to be taken? At the end of the day, we are talking about uh, dig, repair, change, build, destroy, move. Those are the actions when it comes to infrastructure on the ground. So how do you translate? How do you translate uh, SAR data from space into action? Is going back to the first question we brought earlier, how do you, how to gap the, how do we provide uh, a solution to the gap? between the technology and the usage at the end. So who are our customers? Our customers are people that wake up in the morning, get into a truck with tools, they wear boots, they wear yellow jackets, and they drive to a location to investigate, repair, check, and uh, take action in the ground. Can be owners uh, of infrastructure like water utilities, roads, highways, pavements, railroads, mining, uh, anything which is above the ground or uh, under the ground. And for them, our data helps them to focus their effort, which they are spending anyway. They wake up in the morning, they go somewhere. So where do you go? Where is the next area with higher likelihood of failure before anywhere else? This is what our data is doing for them. Headquarters is in Israel. The technology was developed in Israel uh, based on the geophysics science, uh, which is basically the science behind the question how wavelength hits the ground and what is the return to, to the sensor and what does it mean and how to translate it into action and so on. Uh, we are... Uh, um, we have a, a, an, an office, a large office in San Diego, California, that addresses the North American market and Latin America. We have an office in uh, uh, the UK. We have an office in Japan. Uh, 
Uh, we have people in other places around the world. All together, we are 70 people around the world. We are generating revenue in, in, in a, to the extent that we can uh, be, we can sustain our, uh, we are sustainable in terms of uh, financial uh, health. Uh, we did raise money in the past, not that much. Uh, we raised uh, uh, about $9 million from different sources, including VCs, up until now. So we are extremely efficient. All right, sounds good. Yeah, you don't have satellites to launch. So, so you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Uh, you know, those guys have to spend a lot of money. Um, all right, sounds good. So I wanted to go back to, you know, the the starting and, you know, you talked about it a little bit about how the company came about. Uh, I remember reading an article about, uh, you know, relating the founding technology of the company to Mars and, you know, how, you know, what the water leaks that you're, you know, mentioning that you can see from space was kind of a spin-off from a Mars project. Could you talk about that? Because I thought that was an interesting kind of a founding story. Yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, our founder, Lorraine, was part of a project that was uh, running in one of the universities in Israel, Ben-Gurion University in the Negev, uh, to look for water on Mars. The idea was to use different ways of understanding is there water on Mars and ground is uh, has to be penetrated. By definition, uh, SAR had to be used. Uh, when Lorraine uh, left the university... By the way, when Lorraine, Lorraine did not find water on Mars... <laughs> Water was found on Mars through the same exact methods a few years later. But the techniques and the methods were well known. And when Lorraine left the university and went to work as a geophysicist for a water utility, this is where everything clicked in terms of the problem and the possible solution. Now, we need to understand SAR data is extremely chaotic. It's very difficult to work with SAR data. Maybe we'll talk about the difficulties and the opportunities later. Mainly uh, because there is a kind of a trade-off between what you see and where you see it. I mean, there, there is a level or, or a limit of how much the data can be accurate in terms of aerial or the phenomena itself. Um, so commercializing SAR data is not an easy task and there is a, a, a kind of set of um, noises. I, I can call it noises, but it, it, it's not exactly a noise. I mean, a, a vegetation on the ground might be an issue. High buildings might be, might be an issue. The topographic is an issue. There are almost or more than a dozen of aspects that can distort the SAR data when it is mounted on a satellite and hits the ground because the ground or, or, or the municipalities, the cities are messy. Take uh, any cellular tower. A cellular tower is transmitting. Transmitting means that there is an inter interference with the wavelength. Uh, so how do we come take, how do we handle that? So the science is not necessarily with uh, can we or can't we find the phenomena in the ground. There are tons of articles and the science is well established for the last 30 years. The real story is what do you do this data? How do you clean the noises? What does it take to bring it into an accuracy level that makes it commercialized? So if I will take, for example, the... the 
water utility market where we are bringing a solution that is called uh, Astera Recover that helps with a problem that is called non-revenue water which is the water loss through leaks uh, if we will approach a water utility with a product that would be more or less telling them we can find a leak every two miles in your system it will be uh, nice but no thank you we know that there is a leak every two miles it needs to be within a, an area that makes sense for them commercialize so it needs to be um, 50 meters 25 meters that makes sense for them Maybe it'd be good to you know get an idea of what your products are and what your product portfolio is you you talked about one product could you give an overview of what what are your products and you know what their uh, use cases are so we all know that earth observation can address very large amount of verticals and within each vertical it can ad- we can address multiple um, problems for example if we'll take the agriculture market uh, for years and Uh, Earth observation is trying to help agric- uh, uh, farmers with, with, with in different ways. In the agriculture market, the question should be can be crop health, it can be precision irrigation, it can be uh, insurance issues and so on. So the question is not only what vertical we are addressing but also what is the exact uh, problem that we are trying to resolve. In our case, Since we are uh, dealing with infrastructure, we can address the question of where is the infrastructure. When it comes to the underground, it can be an, 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 an issue. Or what are the issues around the infrastructure? So we are focusing on the second one. We are not locating the infrastructure. What we are locating is the issues around the infrastructure. Uh, so we can start with uh, Astera Earthwork. Earthworks is a solution... for transportation and mining and miners to address the safety issues and ground uh, movement issues or ground uh, uh, location, ground hazardous location issues. So it can be an issue like uh, landslides, uh, potholes, sinkholes, all kind of movement of the ground. In 85% of the cases, uh, the, the ground engineering, engineering market issue starts with water. with issues with drainage, accumulation of water, or lack of water. That, uh, water can be also a, stabi- uh, a stabilizing factor when it comes to ground. So it's not only too much water, sometimes it's not enough water in the ground. Uh, and we are uh, uh, monitoring the amount of water in the ground over, over a period of time, and, we can, uh, and there is a very high correlation between Uh, changes in the uh, water content and the ground uh, uh, issues. Uh, so as I said, uh, uh, landslides, uh, potholes, sinkholes uh, for uh, uh, earthworks. We are uh, using uh, uh, the, the product for water utilities, Astera Recover, Astera Recover, identify leaks from space. We can provide water utilities with uh, the, a leak map um, and on the top of it we can provide our customers with, with a product that is called Astera Master Plan. Master Plan is a product that takes the historical data of recover and create a risk assessment based on SAR data. So that would be a condition assessment a layer of 
that can help water utilities better understand how to plan the um, the allocation of resources over time. For example, every water utility has some type of a replacement uh, uh, plan for the next year. It can be half percent to two percent of the system that can be replaced. So they would ask themselves, where do I go? Where are the areas that are more vulnerable? So this is master plan. I would also say that other than those three specific products where we need, we spoke about it earlier, we need to translate our the SAR data into action for our customers through an application, through a platform, a GIS platform that provide them a location, that add the relevant layers for them. We also provide our data to other companies. So we are working with some other companies. For example, we uh, did some work with Orbital Insights and others where we are providing our data so they can add it and augment their solutions. And in that area, those are insights. All right, sounds good. That's a, yeah, that's a good overview of, of your products. And now let's talk about the technology. You know, we, we addressed that a little bit before, obviously, your uh, users of SAR data, or you figured out how to use SAR uh, in a commercial context. So is that so what's different about your tech stack, the fact that you're using SAR? So one, one of the differences is that we are focusing on SAR. We are not going into any other areas uh, in, 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 as a clear direction of the company. Our call to fame, our abilities, our special, our, our special capabilities is with SAR analytics. So as long as it's SAR analytics, that's something that we would do. Anything above and beyond, there are huge amount of expertise around the world and people that know to do it much better than we do. Even in condition assessment, for example, we are not trying to add any other layer of data to our condition assessment software. Our assumption is that someone else would do that. For example, the... Uh, uh, visual uh, aspects that needs to be taken under uh, consideration, uh, uh, the age of the pipe, the material of the pipe, and so on. So those type of things needs to be uh, added separately. Uh, when we're talking about the differentiation from, uh, from uh, uh, other earth observation companies, it's also in the area of repetitiveness. So we are always looking for a large enough market with a big enough problem that can that can be addressed with the same more or less algorithm worldwide and we are avoiding at any cost projects or one time. Yeah, that's been the biggest problem in the earth observation industry. It's been a project base. So you're trying to go for the scalable approach. So going back to the start, so obviously, you know, uh, you mentioned you had, you know, Lauren figure out the, the technology side of things. After that, how, does, how did the product evolution happen? Uh, you know, how did you come to today's stage? Because I'm curious to understand from both from a learnings point of view, maybe you started somewhere and you started exploring that, oh, we can do this, we can do that. But then you had to stop somewhere and make it a product and, you know, realize that, okay, you know what, we need to stop here and see how this can translate into value for the customers. So I'm curious to understand how the product evolution happened over the last few years. Again, two dimensions. The first one is a kind of uh, exotic and the second one is more technological. So the exotical part is the gap between science and commercial. So if, 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 if you will talk with a scientist uh, on, on the 
this technical capabilities, uh, they should, they are, and they should be never satisfied. In other words, the scientists will never let, uh, uh, will never do the same thing twice and get different results. From from a scientific point of view, doing the same thing again and again and get different results is a is a proof that the technology doesn't work. Yeah, which is absolutely correct from their point of view. But not in the commercial world. In the commercial world, the technology is viable as long as it's better than the current solution. So if we're asking of we're asking the problem, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? For example, non-revenue water. Okay? And let's say that from every 10 locations that we are providing to a customer, we find only three leaks. That's from a scientific point of view horrible. But from commercial point of view, if the alternative today is to spend the whole day finding no leak or maybe one leak a day, on average half a leak a day, and without technology, although they go to 10 locations and only, and only find three leaks, this is this is 600% better. And from that point, once we approach the market with this model, which is called benchmarking, the question is not how accurate the technology is. The question is always, what do you do today to solve the same problem and by how much we can improve the solution in terms of efficiency, cost effectiveness, and other factors. So can, can we be better and can we be better in a, in a magnitude? And since then, we have improved ourselves to much, much more than 3 out of 10. We are in, in much higher area, close to uh, uh, 8. But again, that's not the question. The question is, uh, by how much is it better than the other technologies or the other methods? So that's one direction. Yeah, I, I, do, I do want to say that because it is SAR, because it is SAR, there is a limit to how much you can improve the technology. So I, I, I'd like to... Re- Remind ourselves, we are talking about the science of geophysics. geophysics. Uh, and what they are doing, they are taking models, calculations, and uh, approximations to bring it into uh, in some type of a bucket that should fit it all. Now, we know that each area and each location is different. We know that there is different uh, uh, geological uh, aspects. We know that even if we get a map of a specific type of soil, you move two meters left or or above, and and, and it's not exactly the the, the same. So there are a lot of approximations when it comes to giving the geophysicist the ability, the the mission to, to bring a product. At the end, it hits a ceiling, and you cannot improve the technology further unless we implement the machine learning methods. And that was another area where the company took a turn. We could improve our technology up to a certain level, and then when we had large enough sample, when we knew that we have something like 35,000 leaks that were found around the world, and we knew the locations, and we knew to connect it to a specific pixel. That's where we could create a large enough training set for the machine learning algorithm and bring it to our customers. Now, that's another uniqueness of us. What we are doing at Astera, we are closing the dots. 
We are closing the loops. We are going to the locations of where we are investigating and we are taking measurement. As an example, with our new technology of identifying minerals from space, where we are looking for lithium in the ground, we are actually sending people to verify those locations by taking samples and sending it to the lab and adjusting our algorithm accordingly. Now, of course, you should only, we, we should only do that up to a certain time, uh, the first round, second round, third, yeah. third round, but improving it to the point that we will get large enough sample by definition will bring us to a point that it will be much better than what they are doing right now. And we're already doing it much better than the way exploration companies are doing it right now. And there are our design partners and we can share it with the audience. We can share some, some uh, articles and news about it. Sure. Yeah, no, 100%. I think when I when I saw the announcement, you know, I was quite surprised because, you know, this is not an area that usually you see companies operating in. Um, so it was interesting to, you know, for, you know, understand or learn more about how it happened. But the way you're saying it, it seems like it's not just about making it perfect, but it's making it better than what they used to do before. And and I think that's the key point of what you're trying to do, both in, in the mineral exploration area, but also in the leaks and you know, for the infrastructure market, it seems like the common thread that I'm seeing is how can we make the technology good enough for them so that they're ready to pay for uh, the technology and your solution um, because it's better than what they have currently. It's not about getting to perfection. It's not about making the scientists happy, in other words. Exactly. The scientists who can stay in the university, we are in the commercial world and we, uh, I'll, I'll repeat something that uh, Thomas Edison said. Uh, the story is about Thomas Edison. I do not want to invent something I cannot sell. Sure. And uh, if I'm taking, for example, the exploration market, the ratio between starting an exploration project to the point that a mine is actually being built in that location is one to 1,000. And it right. can take anywhere between 5 to 20 years. So we don't need to be perfect. We just need to improve it. And if we improve it by 50%, this is billions of dollars of saving every year to, to so many people. Yeah, I think it's understanding that, you know, that gap and uh, and basically also trying to sell to the audience, right? Like maybe there are cases where you need to be perfect um, and, you know, perfection is what will bring you the customer. But then it seems like more often than not, you don't need that perfection uh, to get that customer and, and you know, make them happy. Uh, it seems like even doing it 50%, 60% or 70% is good enough. And I think that's kind of one of the uh, challenges in the earth observation industry is because it's very scientifically driven. Um, the The status quo is to aim for that perfection and not to look for that commercial opportunity. And it seems like what you're trying to do at Astera is to, you know, use that technology, but then, you know, fit it in a commercial context. And uh, so let's talk about it for a second, because I think that the earth observation market is, is in a turning point here and, and, and it's very, very slow in taking those steps. So what, what I think we are doing, which uh, I really like, we are bringing space technology into an area where the low tech is the, is the basics. So we are bringing the top, top high tech into the lower tech sectors ever. And as I said earlier, bridging the gap is not easy. It's not easy. Now, as I'm going to Earth observation conventions, and at 90% of the discussion, it's all around 
אורביטס, ווייבלנט, פיילודס, וכן nobody talks about the problems a very very little discussion around the problems that it can solve who are the buyers who is going to pay for it what is the value and why would anyone pay something pay money for something yeah it's shocking again and again there are no commercial discussions there are no value discussion and it's all around uh, well there is a discussion around how much is it going to cost to you know launch a kilogram of payload of And the reduction in, uh, in, in the cost and so on but the lack of discussion around what problems do we want to solve uh, I don't want to be a harsh here but we are we are kind of uh, harming earth by not taking it to the next level yeah yeah because you know the the, the impact of that technology is not realized and um, you know it reminds me of uh, something that someone uh, said on the podcast and uh they they said uh i wish earth observation you know was used to create more impact than what it is doing today because uh, it is possible and it's just that we are not taking the effort you know it can be for commercial context it can be for you know the environmental context in a lot of ways i think that conversation is missing so yeah so you're absolutely correct and you know <laughs> i probably agree with you and you probably know that yeah yeah we know that uh, we're on the same p- pace uh, well i'm i'm um, i'm known to be uh Uh, to be to take things to the extreme I think that uh, in many ways it's uh, coming from laziness uh, it's coming from the industry laziness to take the next step and based on my experience based on my career expecting that someone who's supposed to be a customer would understand how technology is going to address his issues is not going to happen in other words imagine that Who are my customers? My customers don't care less if the data that I'm providing them is coming from a satellite, from a sensor, or you know what, from a voodoo ceremony. They don't yeah. care less. As long as the data makes sense for them. They just need to... So the question is, what problem do I have? And what data is going to help me to find it? Mm-hmm. And it is on us, the industry, to bridge the gap between the technology and how the user is going to take this technology into action. And if we will stay where we are, just generating data and hoping that someone will figure out what to do with it, we will continue to create piles and piles and piles of data and it will stay on the cloud without being used. Yeah, no, 100%. And I did, this brings me back to the recent uh, announcement or the recent product that you launched, your Discover. Uh, and it seems like this is kind of what it's aiming to do. Um, based on what I see, you're trying to, you know, convert what SAR outputs are and converting it into numbers that people can use, whether it's for reporting environmental metrics. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this on the newsletter, and I also had a look at what kind of metrics it can generate. And What I like about it is you're basically just converting everything into a way that is useful for the customer, the things that they care about, you know, how much water was wasted, how much energy was used, how, ma- how many dollars were saved. These are numbers that ca- they care about, right? Like instead of, instead of pixels or, you know, you're not even showing them a map. You're just giving them the values and letting them run with it because that's what they care about. You're absolutely correct. Well, EO Discover is uh, based on GIS, but, but the map is being 
used by the people that need the map, which are the people in the field and the operators. But the people that are making the decisions mm-hmm. needs to understand how this data was translated into value. How many locations were investigated? What was found in this? In, in, what is the value that they came out, came out of it? For example, in, with, with, with Recover, we will measure how much water we, f- we saved, how much energy we saved. Energy and water comes together. 20% of the energy of, in the Western world is pushing water, producing and pushing water. So if we are wasting this water, we are wasting energy. Uh, uh, how many leaks were found? What are the locations and so on? So EO Discover is a web platform that helps our customers to understand how the data is being used and what is the value that is being derived from it over time. So basically, as I said, the fact that the data is coming from space is a nice discussion to have at the beginning of the sales cycle. But at the end, it is, how do I use it? It has to be through a web platform. It has to be over a period. It has to be in a, uh, in a, in a recurrent mode. It needs to be a, a SaaS model that gives them the opportunity to log in, get the data, uh, see the update, and all the operations are happening in the back. Again, is how do you bridge the gap between technologies and usage? And what was found in the software industry, SaaS is the way to communicate value to customers. SaaS yep. is the way to better explain to the customer um, how the data needs to be used and the, um, and the analytics behind it. Uh, so if at the beginning we assumed, okay, let's take uh, a map or, or an image from SR data, let's translate it into an insight, we realize it's not enough. So we need to translate it into an action. And that's not enough because an action in allocation is not enough when we are looking on a very large area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so slowly, slowly we came to the realization that we need to bring it on a web platform to our customers so they can interact with it and see how things are moving over time. The reaction from the market is amazing in terms of what is the value that we get. It took time. We had to educate uh-huh. uh, the public sector to use the platform. Uh, but we are definitely uh, seeing uh, the fruits of that process. And we are very proud to be the first company that is doing it. Yeah, no, that's 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 great because obviously, like I mentioned, the output of it's it's just understandable by everybody. You don't need to understand, you know, what satellites do or how Earth observation works, what SAR is. You can just look at the data point and then go. Those who are interested maybe can go and dig deep into how it works and ask you questions about how it works. But then most of them, if the data is correct, they you know they just use it and run with it. And I always say that in Earth observation, people will only pay for three things. They will either pay for an alert, uh, they will either pay for an API, or they will pay for a, a dashboard. Yeah, that's kind of how I look at the market in terms of what the um, yeah what the future of Earth observation is. But I want to get back to EO Discover. So, how are customers using the platform? So they are just logging into the web platform and getting the data. Uh, obviously, they don't care how it works. Or do you have some who care about how it works? You know how you got that number, and you need to kind of explain the technology behind. So we, we all understand that uh, uh, at the end, where the customer uh, log in into the system, it, it is probably a result of a long process that is called a cell cycle. So the cell cycle is usually starts with, yes, an explanation of how it works, what is the value, use cases, explaining to 
the customer, what his neighbor is doing, it's always nice uh, because we're working with municipalities, uh, uh, cities and so on. It's always about, okay, how is my friend next door is doing? Is he using you and to what extent? So that's a very good uh, way to generate leads. Uh, uh, but at the end, once the customer is up and running, they're getting a, a SaaS portal, as simple as it is. They log in, different, uh, different people can see different things. Uh, we have, uh, 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 within our solution, we have uh, uh, applications that is called you uh, uh, collect. This is where the boots on the ground drive to a location and collect the data from the ground. It's basically a map of a location with the ability to report back to the system what was found, where it was found, take an image, report the location. You spoke about API. All those things at the end needs to be integrated into what they call the work order system. They're using some type, it can be, I don't know, SAP, Oracle, mm-hmm. or whatever, work order system that generates the activity of those people. They, we need to remember those people, they are handling huge capital investment in the ground, those infrastructure. And it's always about interaction with the infrastructure, dig, repair, and so on. So all of those things needs to be managed. So the API is integrating our solution to those work order system. It goes through you, collect to our system. It goes back to us. This is how we collect our data back from the customer from our machine learning uh, aspect. Uh, it goes to the uh, da- database. From the database, it generates the analytics. The analytics goes into the dashboard. The dashboard is being viewed by the operational managers and the CFOs. And this is how they get an idea of how the data is being translated into action and into value. Without it, up until then, it was us, up to us, to connect the dots within the mind of the customer. We were collecting the data from the users, creating the reports, bringing it to the managers, and only then we could assume the renewal of the next year. Now, it just happened automatically. Got it. Okay. And what about your distribution model? Because you said that, you know, you have your partnership with, for example, Orbital Insight. Because I'm curious also about the distribution model, because you cannot expect all your customers to come and log into your platform and use it. Maybe they want to see that data available in software that they already use. So I'm curious if you have partnerships or in general, what are your thoughts or thoughts about, you know, partnering and having your data available in, you know, someone else's platform? either white-labeled or just directly integrated? So uh, it's really depend on the vertical and how they use it. You would be surprised. They have no... Uh, uh, for, for the public sector, for example, municipalities, water utilities, they always prefer our platform because it's slick, it's nice, it's high-tech, it's recent. What they are using is outdated, old, and as long as we are integrating into our system and the data is not being lost, from their point of view, they would use our interface and not the, uh, their interface, uh, as long as, as as long as it's allowed. And yes, the integration is key. On the other hand, there are customers that, as you said, they need to use their own systems. We are integrated with ESRI. I just came back from an ESRI event in DC for the federal market, yep. which was all focused on federal. In the federal market, that's what they use, ESRI. Uh, 
and AWS and others. So when it comes to how we are integrating to our data from technological point of view, to be honest, it's easy. Yeah. Because the APIs and the conversion is not a big deal. A, a map is a map, a shape is a shape. And the usage is the, is the difficulty. Yep. Not how is it integrated. It's how do I, how do I as a user, interact with the data and what is the action that I need to derive from it. And those are the things that we are dealing with on, the, on our platform. Uh, all right, so let's talk about um, you know the state of Earth observation. We touched on it a little bit, um, but I wanted to hear your you know overall thoughts about Earth observation, and you know are you excited about all the satellite data constellations that are going to launch? Especially you know there are several SAR uh, satellite yeah. satellites about to launch. So are you excited about it? Um, just wanted to get your general thoughts on the state of the industry today. Yeah, so we. We are all all, talk, all talking about it for years that it had about the move from agencies to new space. Uh, we are very excited about this. We think that is happening. It's not happening. Not happening yet. Agencies are still the gorillas in the market. They are still not focusing on the commercial market. They are still considering anything else but the user against. Research, technology, uh, uh, big budgets, government budgets, but there, there is no approach in that area on product market fee. There is no thinking on who is the user. There is no thinking on how to bridge the gap between technology and a solution. Those are the issues of agencies and government. We know that we are speaking about it in different conventions all around the year. That's And everybody is saying, okay, it's happening. It's, it's happening in some in some parts of the market, but it doesn't happen all in every everywhere. For example, up until now, up until now, Elben satellites are very, very limited in their, in their, in their availability. Yeah. And they are all agencies. Okay? So we're talking about an, an opportunity which nobody is stepping in to take it. Okay? Now let's talk about a new space. And again, I'm looking only on South. So yes, there are a lot of constellations of South that are being launched. A lot of uh, new stories, that are, but as those technologies are being launched with the promise that it will be available for the commercial market, immediately the government is taking all that capacity and own it. And very, very little is left for the commercial uh, market. So again, we are looking into a story that says, okay, let's address the issues on earth for the humanity. And as soon as it goes up, the DOD's type, Department of, Depa of, of Defense and other immediately is, okay, we have a new, new toy to play, let's buy it. And there yep. is very little left. So, so maybe there will be, uh, it's a capacity issue and maybe not, but it goes into a very interesting phenomena that I found. As I said, I'm not coming from the Earth Observation Market. Sure. So I, 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 come, I, I have a little bit of other aspects. In, in, in the standard economical Uh, um, studies, people are, are, are thinking that uh, the demand is driving uh, availability. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the Earth observation market, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. There is no demand. Nobody, nobody knows that they need something. And then suddenly there is a data available and the demand is growing. So the chicken and egg here is going the opposite way. Uh, Nobody thought about X-band usage 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. 
because there were some applications in some areas and whoever want to do it were launching 50 70 100 or 200 million dollars project but as soon as it become available everybody needs it yeah it seems like what you're saying is we need to have a you know a demand driven uh, technology development which has not happened right like because you probably oh the opposite we need to create the availability knowing that the demand will come the demand will come. It was proven over again and again and again. Mm-hmm. When when the availability is there, everybody buys this data. But nobody knows that they need that data unless the availability is there. I see. Yeah. But in your case, you probably have a lot of learnings about what are the gaps, what can be done better, uh, you know, how the availability can, you know, improve because you have a business case to go with it. You're not just saying, I need more data. You're saying that for a reason. It seems like that has not happened a lot in Earth Observation where people, you know, when they launch a new satellite saying that it's going to, you know, provide more data, they're just hoping that it is going to have more adoption, but they are not really, you know, talking to the end user and figuring out what the market needs are. So that, you know... I'm I'm currently at the state that mm -hmm. I cannot satisfy the demand of my customers. Yeah. Two areas, current demand and what would be the additional uh, value that I can bring to my customer if I had more data. In other words, right now, I can only address issues that can be detected or or are not mission critical. In other words, those issues are in the ground. If it will be tomorrow, next week, or in a month from now, no big deal. None of those things... I know that it's going to create a problem in the future. I, I, I do not know if it will be next week or in six months. So addressing this issue within this time frame is still relevant. There are a huge amount of things that if I had the data more frequent, more reliable, we could increase the market dramatically. And the funny thing is that people are coming to me and they say, okay, we'll launch a satellite for you. If you will, pre- if you will show me that you don't know, it's the opposite. Give me the data, I will sell, I will make use of it. I cannot create the market with a product that I don't have. We are talking here about market creation or market makers. The earth observation market is, is not at the state of creating a market. It's reacting to the market and because it's reacting, it's very, very slow. Interesting. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Because... Yeah, you're bringing a different perspective because I always assume that we have a lot of data and we don't know what to do with it. But what you're saying is there are areas where there is a lot of demand, but the you know the market is not keeping up in, in providing that data to you. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Um, all right, so let's wrap up with a few questions. How do you see the market evolving, especially in your industry, in the infrastructure monitoring world? Because it's not an industry that has historically used a lot of Earth observation. And, you know, you are having some success in providing, doing it indirectly. You know, you're not selling the data to them. You're selling sites and the actions uh, that they need to take from that data. But what, what are your thoughts in general about their adoption within this market? What, what, what choices do they have? What choices do they have? What, what the Earth Observation is giving them is, is the ability to replace the current model, mm-hmm. which is based on, uh, we, we all, as I said, we always speak about how do you solve the problem today, okay? So how do they solve infrastructure issues today? The first one, 
which is the most common one, would be walking or driving up and down the infrastructure using human eyes to identify issues in the ground. Yep. Okay, so that's, a, that's how things are being done today. It's, it's a, a hilarious, but this is how there are huge amount of effort going into people that wake up in the morning and drive trucks up and down the, 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 uh, the infrastructure. And the second thing is sensors. So there is a huge uh, market of sensors that detect uh, movement, uh, soil moisture, and all kinds of phenomena, noise, and so on. Uh, and those are the options. So we are moving from an extremely localized identification or alert system, which is human eyes or sensors, which all they can do, they are either limited by the ability of a human brain to consume data, or the ability of a machine that is placed in one location to transmit data and analyze it. Now take those two things, and now let's talk about Earth observation. Huge amount of area in one click, as long as we know how to analyze this data and translate it into action. Yep. That's the challenge, that's bridging the gap. Using a sensor, it's a sensor that is on in the sky, to replace human eyes and multiple sensors in the ground, but we have to bring in the analytic capabilities and the machine learning capabilities to do it. I'm, I'm not saying replacing those sensors and be exactly as they are, the ground sensors, but be statistically better over a very large area. Mm-hmm. And for infrastructure owners, in my perspective, they will... They will have no choice if it will take a year or 10 years, they will have to do it because what they are doing right now doesn't work. Yeah. We cannot avoid that. <laughs> yeah, it's not efficient. It's not an efficient way to go about it. Yeah, they always yeah, consider this. The infrastructure this... is collapsing. Yeah. The infrastructure is collapsing. We are putting more stress on the infrastructure. People are driving more, they are using water more, they are using transportation more, they are using energy more per person, let alone we are more human. Mm-hmm. It's not going. It's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's uh, it's inevitable. Uh, the adoption. Fair enough. Makes sense. Uh, what's coming for Astera in the short term, long term? Uh, do you have any big milestones? Are you working towards something? What's what's coming up? I think that the partnerships, as you discussed earlier, is is the next uh, bottleneck for us. Uh, we we have we have uh, uh, identified a few markets. We have. Uh, uh, created ourselves as a known entity in those markets. We are going in this market. And uh, the next step before we go into other markets would be to uh, partner with uh, those that can help us increase the usage at the customer side. And those are companies like ESRI, AWS, uh, uh, SAP, and whoever is actually uh digesting this data on the corporate level yeah yeah the enterprise software market as yeah. uh, as you see uh brilliant thanks ali thanks for being on the podcast this was a great discussion very good thank you so much